Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, I don't know if any of you have kept track of the most recent charismatic uh, movement controversy, but um, there have been headlines um, in uh, Christianity Today, uh, different websites uh, that track these things over all the prophets who prophesied that Trump would win the election. And then, of course, he didn't. Uh, in fact, there's a uh, church historian who kept track of these things and said that there were 40 known prophets who were known by ministries or circulating around the country who prophesied this. And since then, uh, six of them, uh, five or six of them have repented and apologized for getting caught up in the spirit of the age and the spirit of the election. And a lot of uh, folks, is, it's uh, people who are outside the uh, charismatic movement have used the opportunity to uh, ridicule and mock these folks. Uh, Christian Today ran an extended article from a charismatic explaining how the gift of prophecy worked and where the breakdown occurred. Yeah, by, it's by Greg Keener, and if you get a chance to go in there, uh, it's a very well done article. But what struck my, why this stuck out to me is today's Old Testament reading is the text that everyone cites when these kinds of events happen. And uh, I don't know if you had a chance to read it. I know you, we did read it this morning, and I want to look at it real quick. It's in Deuteronomy 18, and it's in verse 15. And what I briefly want to talk about is just briefly go through each of the readings and show how they're describing to us what a spirit-filled leader looks like. Now, a leader doesn't mean you have to be the pastor or even have a position, but you're leading by the way that you walk in the spirit, how you keep in step with the spirit, how you uh, live in the spirit. So you're leading by example and you're being a presence of Christ wherever you are. And these four readings, it's interesting to me, all capture that idea. The first one is in Deuteronomy, describes a prophet. The Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you for your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So we're going to know um, early on in Israel's history that a prophetic voice will be raised up. They're usually the responsibility is to speak to the king once the monarchy is established. Their responsibility will be to speak to the king and give him guidance from the Lord. The leadership of Israel would be prophet, priest, and king. But uh, uh, Moses is saying, uh, asking the Lord to raise up someone like me who can hear the Lord and give you direction. Just as you desired, uh, it is him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. It's a reference back to Exodus when the people were welcomed up the mountain of Mount Sinai to uh, spend time in the Lord's presence. And they were so overawed and fearful of him, especially because of the sin in their life. They refused to go up. And so um, Moses is saying this is the replacement. Since you didn't want to see him face to face, I'm going to bring someone who does, who will, and they will speak to you on my behalf. And the Lord said to me, they are right that they didn't do this. They were right that they didn't go up to the mountain. I'll raise from, for, up for them a prophet like you, 
from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. So this is the Lord instituting the prophetic office. And whoever will not listen to my words, he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. In other words, there's an obligation. Uh, Israel has an obligation to listen to what the prophet has to say. Verse 20, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So the words, if you share something that's not the Lord, the penalty is death. The only way that the Israelites had, the only means by which they had to judge whether a prophet was a true prophet or a false prophet was whether their physical historical events that they prophesied came true. Keep in mind that the Israelites do not have a Holy Spirit living in them to help them discern whether a a prophecy is true or not like we do today. So they're having to judge entirely by external events. And if a prophet was to point someone into sin or point someone to an idol um, or prophesy an event would happen, the penalty for them is death. It says, and if you say in your heart how we may know that the Lord has not spoken, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, the, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word from the Lord has not spoken. The Lord has, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So the prophet shall die in verse 20. In verse 22, if it doesn't come to pass, don't, don't uh, listen to them anymore. So there's a lot of uh, critics right now, especially the charismatic movement, who are mocking uh, these uh, prophets who predicted the Trump victory and calling for them not to be put to death. They know that's silly, but calling for them to be dismissed or uh, ridiculed or canceled or something. But we need to take this passage a little more uh, seriously than that, that it's our responsibility as a believer, as a spirit-filled believer, to hear the Lord, to listen to his voice, first and most of all through the word of God, and then through guidance and uh, direction from his Holy Spirit. It's best to do that in a community of believers within uh, friendships and family who know us most. There's a temptation sometimes to hear the Lord, and it's what we want to hear, or it's uh, it blends in perfectly with our own weaknesses. And so we need family and friends to say, hey, wait a minute, that might not be the Lord. But we do need to hear the Lord. We do need to walk with him. We do want to be in his presence. We do want his direction. We want to be used by him and to be able to have an impact in people's hearts. Uh, he may laying on your heart heavy to call someone, to visit someone. Uh, you need to hear the Lord and go do so and uh, use that opportunity to be a presence of Christ to them. Now, just to back up a little bit, you're going to, uh, in the New Testament, the judging of prophecy is different. If you go to First Corinthians 14, it's to be weighed. Um, let me go there real quick. Let two, uh, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And so the way or uh, measure or evaluate, it could be translated, weigh what they said. So instead of 
because we have now each believer, the Holy Spirit's living in them. We all have the spirit of discernment and we all can weigh a prophecy and get an insight from the Lord of whether it's from the Lord or not. The others here, I think, is referring to the congregation. The congregation's too large. These churches were smaller, but they're too large. The elders could help with that discernment. So there's no need to stone prophets anymore, but there is a need to evaluate, to correct, and to, uh, but to be open to what the Lord is saying. I know there's a lot of folks who want to dismiss uh, prophecy altogether. Um, and I think this would be a shame for the Lord. Jesus himself said, he who listens to a prophet receives a prophet's reward. And so that reward is hearing and knowing God and be able to discern him better and discern his will better. Prophets are mostly called to foretell, that is to call the church to walk with the Lord and abide in him, trust him and follow him. Then they foretell that occasionally a prophet will be given insight into um, something that will happen or can happen. Now that we're no longer under a theocracy and we're no longer, the prophet's job is not to speak to a king, but the prophet's job is to advise elders and to encourage churches and to strengthen them. Not so sure that the, it's their responsibility to um, predict the outcomes of elections. But keep this in mind, though, we don't want to despise prophecy. In 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So you want to encourage any pastor, any of us want to encourage the sharing of a prophetic word. And we do so when we test it, we weigh it. And as we do, it will give us insights. Don't despise them. Don't quench the spirit because this is something the spirit does. The King, uh, 1 Corinthians 14.3 says the prophecy is given to strengthen, comfort, and encourage the church. So first of all, in a spirit-filled life, we have the responsibility to hear God. That's what um, this passage in Deuteronomy 18. And then very quickly in Psalm 111, Psalm 111 is really a... Um, Three Psalms, 111, 112, 113, all go together. Uh, you can tell very quickly because the first verse of every Psalm starts with hallelujah or praise the Lord. And Psalm 111 that we read or recited this morning describes the character of God and who he is. He says he's a worker, he's righteous, he's compassionate, he's truthful, he's a person of integrity that keeps his promises. But the real kicker in the, is the end is the last verse. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. So that's going to be the key. Of course, the fear of the Lord is a phrase that we often misunderstand. Fear of the Lord is not uh, the cowering of an abused child. The fear of the Lord is simply having an, uh, you're awed by God's greatness, your delight in his presence. There's a worshipfulness about you and your attitude toward him. And you have a, and the desire of your heart is to want to please him, whether home or away. You wouldn't want to do anything that would break or disappoint his heart. That's what the fear of the Lord is. So an awesome, uh, uh, it's to worship with awe. It's to have an acknowledgement that you don't want to do anything that would displease him. It's the desire to be in his presence and to recognize the beauty of his holiness. 
One way I look at it is simply I recognize that each and every day that there, there will ultimately will be a judgment day. And I want to live in such a way that on judgment day, God would be glorified. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom that kicks over to 112, which then describes a man or a woman of God who, uh, because they walk in the fear of the Lord, this is their attributes. They're upright. They're, way, they have, they're blessed. They are merciful and righteous in verse 4, 112 verse 4. They deal generously with other people. They're right, uh, they reflect God's righteousness in their lives. So what the psalmist is showing you is the very attributes of God that are so beautiful in 111 begin to be reflected in the life of the man or woman of God in 112. Why? Because they fear him. They have a love relationship with him and they desire him and they want their life to be reflected of his. Uh, the verse that I really enjoy is ministered to me over the years is verse seven. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. If there ever is a a year that we've been through, it seems like every morning we would wake up and you would just uh, flick on a news website and there was bad news or the bad news that you're not feeling well today or the bad news that your job has been um, uh, frozen or laid off. And so there's a, there can be a tendency to just wake up in constant anxiety. And the thing is, is that we fear the Lord. We get to know his character. We trust his promises. We see his faithfulness. We know no matter what we face or what comes our way, we're alleviated from that anxiety and fear because we have a steadfast God who keeps his promises. So we are freed up from fearing bad news. And our heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Our heart is steady, verse 7, and it will not be afraid. And so we know because we walk with the Lord that we don't have to be uh, burdened by the struggles of the world around us. So that's number two. If we're living, living a life, a spirit-filled leadership, we're going to be accountable. And the, the um, driving focus in our heart is a fear of the Lord. And then uh, the, we had that strange New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians 8 about eating uh, meat. And now you have to kind of get the context is in Corinth, this was a pagan city. And everyone, everything was surrounded by the gods, uh, the Roman gods. And no matter if you if you went to Corinth's version of McDonald's, you would have um, there would have been a blessing to Apollo or a blessing to Mercury or a blessing to Zeus or something, depending on the culture, whether it's Roman or Greek. And the meat would have been killed and sacrificed to that god. And then what's left over been sold to you. Okay, and you had been eating meat sacrificed to idols. So there was a concern in the early church. If we're eating this meat, are we giving our loyalty to this God or does it really matter? And since only God is Lord and Paul's going to argue in verse eight that you have the freedom to eat it or not eat it. OK, now he's going to later say that if you're if this is a temple situation, it probably not be the best because you're going to look like you are in loyalty to that Lord God. But if this meat has been brought to you and you're having dinner with people, it's no big deal. But then there are other believers that it is a big deal. We shouldn't eat this at all. It's giving us the impression, no matter where we are, that um, our loyalty is to these Roman and Greek gods. So Paul's saying in this little simple verse, simple section, he's saying, um, 
food offered to idols. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This is 1 Corinthians 8. Love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, yet he does not know as he ought to know. Anyone who loves God is known by God. In other words, you think you have this freedom, you have this knowledge. There's a temptation to look down at others as being legalistic, as uh, being caught up in rules, and you look down on them and you're insensitive to them. He goes down to verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So spirit-filled leadership is a leadership that's sensitive to people's situations. And if they would find this offensive, you're going to be willing, even though you may feel like you know better, you have more, more insight um, to the situation, you have greater liberty in Christ in this situation, and they just don't see it. You're going to be sensitive to them and lay down your right and be willing uh, to walk with them through this and just eat what they feel comfortable with. And there's a bigger picture here in what it is, is a spirit-filled leader will be sensitive to the people around them, and they won't use their freedom or their knowledge of the Lord uh, to um, look down on other people or be prideful or arrogant toward other people. So a spirit-filled leader is going to be sensitive because that's how God is. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. God is a merciful God. He's a sensitive God. He's a God who was tender with us when we didn't know anything. And therefore, we're going to reflect that sensitivity to him. So, so far, we've covered three of the four readings. First, we learned that there's a responsibility to hear God. And Deuteronomy 18, Psalm 111 and 112, we see that there's an accountability to fear God. And as we fear God and walk with him, our lives are transformed into his likeness. Then we say in 1 Corinthians that to walk in a spirit-filled leadership or in ministry, there's a sensitivity to other people. And that's a reflection that you know God because God is that way. And then lastly, let's look at the Mark uh, passage. And that's Mark 1, 21 through 28. It's an interesting passage because what's proclaimed here in this passage is not, um, what's proclaimed here in this passage is not um, that a demon was a sober person was delivered from a demon. What is amazed, what is people are amazed by is how quick it happens and how much authority Jesus had in dealing with it. We know from first century history that when it was discovered that someone in the Jewish community, they felt like that were they were demon possessed or oppressed, the priest would come or the synagogue leader would come and would just read scripture over them. And it might take days or, or a week, but just <laughs> you basically wear out the demon by reading the word of God over them and the demon leaves. So this could take an extensive amount of time, but because it's the word of God and it's inspired and anointed of the Holy Spirit, eventually it would wear that demon out. And in many cases, it would leave. So what's shocking people in this passage is not that the demon leaves. What's shocking in this passage is that as soon as Jesus says it to leave, it leaves. And there's a little game that the demon tries to play in this passage. And let's look at it. This is Mark 1, 21. They went into Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. And he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. So, you know, when you, I don't know, one of the things I'm struck by when I listen to like um, pundits on Fox or 
experts on ESPN is how much they can talk and yet not know what they're talking about <laughs> and uh, how little, uh, you know, as soon as they give their opinion, it kind of just blows away. It has no, uh, it has no authority behind it because there's no research. There's no insight. There's nothing about their character that reflects their opinion. They're just spouting off. And the scribes would often act this way. They all had a commentary. They all had an opinion on a text. But when Jesus spoke, though, there was such intimacy with, with God and such intimacy with the Bible. And he so had insights into its meaning that when he spoke, people could sense the authority as soon as he spoke. And his words did just fly off like the wind, but they impacted the heart. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? See, he names him by name. There's a thing in retail now where a person who has a disagree with you or you are returning their stuff or buying something and they have a question or they want something out of you, they will recite your name over and over again. Of course, they're not, they recite your name because they see your name tag. But the idea is that you use someone's name over and over again to make it personal. And this is something I've noticed more and more in the years I've worked at Best Buy. And this is what the demon's doing. He's making it personal and he's trying to use his name and use it away. What do you have to do with us? We know who you are. You don't matter. And so we know who you are. You're just the Holy One of God. You know, so what? You know, but we know from Philippians that Jesus' name is above every name. So he's trying to play a name game with him and use it to intimidate Jesus. But verse 25, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing, crying out with a loud voice came out. They were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. So what they're amazed at is the quickness, the power, and the absolute authority Jesus had over this demon. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere through the surrounding region of Galilee. So this is the deal. If we want to be a spirit-filled leader, from uh, Deuteronomy 18, we're called to hear God, and there's a responsibility for doing so. Now, the way prophets function and the way the prophetic word functions, functions a little differently in the New Testament than the Old. And we know that. But there's still a responsibility to want to walk intimately with him and to hear him and allow him to to uh, direct us and give us insight into how he wants to lead us in Christ, spirit-filled led life. Psalm 111, there's accountability to fear God. And as we fear God and walk intimate with him, our character will be transformed into his character. Psalm 112 describes the man or woman of God. If you look at Psalm 111, it's an exact description of what God is like. So by when you fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as you begin to be uh, hold him in reverence, love him and walking with him intimately, your character is transformed and changed. And then a spirit-filled leader will be sensitive to people around him, even though they may know better, even though they may have more insight because they spend more time with the Lord. Uh, they're going to be sensitive to them and be sensitive to their needs if they have issues and struggles. And then Mark shows us that a spirit-filled leader will have authority because they walk intimately with the Lord, because they know his word so well, and because they're uh, trusting him completely. There's going to be an authority in their life, and this authority is going to have an impact on people's lives around them. They're going to sense the difference. And so here we have a spirit-filled leader, hears God, fears God, knows God, and experiences God. 
And so one of the things we're called to out of these verses today is as we're a spirit-filled leader, we're um, hearing the Lord. We're desiring to, to be led by the Spirit. We're fearing God in a good way. We want to be sensitive to... We want to be sensitive to his, um, sorry, I've got a, a problem today that I don't normally have at church. It's a barking dog. Okay, so just summing up, the spirit-filled leader is one who hears God, fears God, knows God, experiences God. Someone who's abiding uh, in Christ, loving him and looking to him in faith. So... Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for these verses today. This lectionary reading really, really struck my heart with how deep my responsibility is and my um, need to walk with the Lord in intimacy and power. And Lord, we just pray today that you would draw us near uh, through all the sickness and um, layoffs and the quarantining and the non-quarantining. Lord, even in these busy days, Lord, we would find you, uh, we would make it our uh, heart's desire to love you, walk with you, want to know you and hear your voice. Be sensitive to others, Lord, and experience you more deeply, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.